Welcome to the Good Bad Mad podcast, a show that's here to share the ins and outs of creative careers, connecting the aspirational with the experienced, with your host, me, Meg Ellis. My guest for this episode is comedian and entertainer Kev Orkian. His story covers a lot of ground, from facing bullies with jokes, to manifesting opportunities, to impromptu backyard medical procedures. <laughs> You're going to have to listen to the episode to find out what I'm talking about there. He's a very inspiring man trying to put some goodness out in the world. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi. 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 Hello, hello, hello. Can you hear there me? There we go. I can hear you. <laughs> I'm Meg. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Meg. Nice to meet you, darling. How are you? I'm good. How has life treated you over, over the last year and a half? Has it been okay? It's been tough. Yeah. It's been really tough, Meg. Yeah. It's been, it's been crazy tough because it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just the work. It wasn't the fact that, you know, overnight we'd lost all the gigs um, and everything just went finished, blackout, you know, that kind of thing. It wasn't any of that. It was more the fact that I also had a, um, a psychological side to my, um, kind of life because my wife she had a serious accident um and uh, it was you know it was one of those things where you kind of go really but we looked I mean we looked back on it on the camera I looked back on it twice and I vowed never to look at it again I haven't and I never will but um she steps into the back garden I'm doing the barbecue the kids are playing in and out the garden they're playing in the swimming pool um uh, and she steps out into the back garden and where she'd put a towel down on the step uh, which goes from the kitchen into the garden. Mm. She put a towel down. She couldn't assess where the edge of the the, the step was because oh, the yeah. towel was on it. And she basically um, uh, she stepped and her foot jarred and it cracked the other way. So her foot went totally the opposite way. So she she was literally uh, I think it was it was not it wasn't one hundred eight. It was It was about ninety degrees to the to the wrong side. And then she fell on the floor. All I could and she dropped the plate of um, she had a a tray of hot chips she dropped it on the floor and all i could hear her was going out 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 and whatever so i dropped everything in the barbecue ran up to her so i grabbed the foot and i turned it all the way back around again i kid you not yeah. oh my goodness well so that's what i went you, but yeah so, that sounds very traumatic, it traumatic yeah. yeah it was so with the fact that i was trying to run four businesses including jonglers that i just bought um and then on top of that um you know looking after the family and then obviously taking all the responsibilities that my wife was doing so you have not had a single second sleep then for the last year and a half no 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 i now do motivational talks every morning at half five so i, I get up at five o'clock every morning that's my that's my alarm so i get up at five half past five i'm out in the street with my dog and i'm walking with a with a mug of green tea that's my thing and if you look at my instagram every morning i do an inspirational motivational kind of uh, video just to promote and, and help people do what I'm doing. Cause my life's great. I love my life. I really do. It's tough at times, but I love it. And do you know what? Thinking positive, thinking, manifesting good ideas and whatever. It's just, it's helped me. And it's, I'm not joking. Things are coming to me now. And I talk about it so often now. Things are coming to me that I've thought about and just 15 minutes of manifesting and like emptying your mind and just thinking of everything you want in your life. Mm. Fucking works. I kid you not. It's amazing. You know what? It's funny you say that. I've been trying to do that a bit more recently. Just, Have you? Yeah. Like maybe not so much calling it manifesting or anything like that, but just kind of 
trying to set intentions before I yeah. do stuff. Like even if I just like I'm going to the gym, it's it's like okay, this is enjoyment. This is to help your body. This is not punishment. <laughs> like it's oh, just right. those kind of like little intentions to just try and frame it so you don't let all those like kind of bad dingy thoughts feel away. Totally, and it's actually the moment you know that those negativity uh, thoughts are coming in. Mm-hmm. It's about just going. Psh, psh, psh. Mm-hmm. And pushing them away and it happens because if negative if you allow it to come into your life uh, and i mean like for example like you were just saying with the gym let's use that as a prime example mm-hmm. um and i know we're digressing off our interview but i just want to say when you go to the gym before you even get to the gym a lot of people just talk themselves out of it yeah. so the the voice inside you which is you by the way it's your voice but it's the louder voice it's the quieter one you need to listen to but yeah. the louder voice that turns around and goes because oh you know what's going to happen you're going to get there and you're going to hurt your back again like you did yesterday and you couldn't sleep last night and you know what it's going to get really bad because if you do it again today you're going to strain it even more mm-hmm. oh and that person that was taking up the bench do you remember the one that you wanted to and you had to wait there for another five minutes before they finished <laughs> oh and all those shitty little words keep coming to you mm-hmm. and then what happens it goes and then you're going to go home you're probably going to have a biscuit and you're going to end up having kfc this afternoon so you fucking <laughs> what a waste of time and that those voices are constantly <laughs> in your head right whereas the quiet voice is going go and do it yeah don't do it I think it's funny you say kind of digressing from the interview there whereas I actually think that that kind of brings us to to the point of this podcast that we do the good bad mad podcast is is to understand the ups and the downs the whole mix of emotions that goes into a creative life really like yes a, a creative career but for most people who have creative careers that is their life you know, and it, it's it's so integrated to who people are. Yeah. It, I, I think it's so easy to kind of go in with grand ideas and, and maybe delusions or, or hopeful expectations. And, and this kind of little creative life can just beat the shit out of you sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. So I think I just think it's really important to understand the good, the bad and the mad elements all at once. So people can kind of go into it with a realistic expectation and understanding of what it is that they're doing. And also understand that other people are going through those ups and downs along the way at the same time. (laughs) Absolutely. No, totally. And and it is that is that totally. So it's funny because 99.9% of the world are very much lazy when it comes to thinking. What we don't do is we we kind of numb and, and I'll give you a prime example of this. We numb our brains to going, oh, it's going to be the same tomorrow. Yeah, we'll do the same thing again. I'll get up in the morning. I'll have my breakfast. What shall I have? I'll have the same thing because I don't want to think about it. I'll put the same clothes on. Um, and actually, a lot of geniuses do that. A lot of genius um, people like, um, you know, um, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, they wear the same clothes every single day. But mm-hmm. um or the same colors, you know, because they don't want to think out of their context because it's better to think about other stuff being creative, like you were just saying, Meg. So take consideration, my dad, 45 years, 48, apologies, 48 years of his life, six o'clock, he leaves the house, six o'clock, he comes home. He goes to work every day, electronics, telecommunication, electronics, telecommunication, that's all he's ever done. And he gets to retirement age, gets to 66. uh, He stayed on an extra year, 66, he retires. I don't want to do anything anymore, he says. I just want to relax. I want to live my life and I just want to relax and blah, blah, blah. He does nothing for one year. Nothing apart from play Tetris, sit there and watch television. If I told you his ability to speak has mm-hmm. gone from 90% to 30, where he cannot communicate with me anymore because his brain goes, 
sorry, what's this? Is this a new thing now? Yeah. And that's where he is in his life. And you just think to yourself, if we if we can't think out of the box and we can't condition ourselves to think of everything and keep our minds active mm. and think, think, think about what you want in your life and how you're going to do it and how you're going to and keep that brain muscle working, you're going to end up being a morph. You know what I mean? Well, I, th- I think this is part of it is like when, when you're a kid, everyone always tells you, dream big, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, it, it's all within your grasp. Like, do whatever you want and then somehow at some point maybe after a levels or after uni or around that age it just suddenly goes nah nah you, you can't do that fit into this like little cycle you can do the nine to five or the six to six or whatever it is like yeah, and, totally. and that's it you know and like I think so many people out there not just like people who work in stage and screen or or comedy or whatever like so many people out there just absolutely repel it with every fiber yeah. of their being but they don't know how to step outside of that or, or take that risk I actually just wrote an article about this kind of very topic it, it's about just stepping outside of that that everyday decisions talking about breakfast and all that right. stuff you're just like it's boring <laughs> you know and it makes you tired and sluggish and depressed and all these horrible things and you're like you want adventure I think as as a species we're, we're completely designed towards action and adventure and and exploration and all this kind of thing but but our, our little world just goes no we, we like safety <laughs> I think so and I think we we back down to our fears as well mm-hmm. um, and not just ours I think we back down to others as well so mm-hmm. my my wife is is very fearful of a lot of things in her life, um, everything to do with, um, you, you know, where we're investing our money, where it's going, this, that, what work, what have that, that, that. I mean, just it carries on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much the opposite. I don't fear many things at all. Um, and I also think life's about risks. I think you've got to take risks to to then sit back and and reap the benefits. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people back down to fears, but it's also down to the fact that Meg, for example, if you said, look, I want to start a, a podcast, I'm going to do this and blah, blah, blah. And your other half or your parents or your siblings or someone tell me, and I went, you don't want to do that. There's so mm. much, so many better people out there doing it. You know, what they're doing immediately is putting their fears on yours. And mm. if you already had a fear and go and, in, and inside you were going, Oh, I hope this really works. I hope this really works. And mm. I hope, you know, I'll get some good, you know, interviewees like Kev Alkin and all that palaver. <laughs> but if you kind of did that, and someone was putting their fears on top of yours, I can guarantee you 99% of the time, you probably wouldn't have got uh, carried on yeah. doing it. So yeah, that's the problem that a lot of people suffer from. Uh, so, I mean, one of, one of my favorite quotes at the moment, no risk, no story. Oh, I like that. I like that, right? It's great. Um, I like that. I just think it, for anyone who, who's on that kind of precipice of going, should I go pursue acting? Should I go be a lighting designer? Or all these different things. Should I try doing the comedy circuit? All these things, like I'm just like, just take that little risk, and you might get the yeah. story that you want. I agree one million percent with you. Million percent, I agree with you. And you know what? It's funny as well because I've just launched um, um, a training course uh, via my company Jonglers, mm-hmm. uh, which is training uh, people to overcome their fears and actually get on stage at a live jonglers comedy club and perform so it's a three-month course Mm -hmm. um which uh, gives you the 
the kind of knowledge and the backbone of what comedy is about. You put a three minute routine together and then you walk on stage and you perform in front of a 150, 100, 200. Uh, would you do it? Would you do it? No, no, what? no, and this is what, what interests me so much about what you do. It's like we're talking about taking risks. I think doing any kind of comedy, improv, anything like that is the ultimate risky career because you're, you're not just putting a, a performance out there you're not performing as somebody else or you're not you're not separating it as a story you are putting yourself on stage you're so funny you can do it you know you can do it I know you can do it no. so it's just like no 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 I've done improv in the past and let me tell you I am shopping <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely shopping and I have tried it that's just not me being like Oh no, I was a bit scared. I just I couldn't be broken. No, I tried it. I'm back. Oh bless you, babe. Bless you. <laughs> but, but can we let's like start right at the beginning? Like, what made you decide to kind of pursue comedy? I'll be honest with you. It was always in the blood. Yeah. Um, yeah. From a from a from a kid in school, being the local class clown mm -hmm. uh, to joke telling. Um, I spent a lot of my life really trying to make people laugh, um, whether it's through pranks, whether it's through jokes. Mm -hmm. um, it was just in my genes. It's a DNA thing for me. Yeah. Um, and I never, ever, ever thought I'd pursue a career outside of what my mum and dad wanted. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you, because my mum and dad wanted me to be either an architect, uh, either, um, you know, an electrician, mm -hmm. uh, something that had a proper, proper job, you know, like, you know, what your mum and dad do. Um, and I started playing the piano when I was three and a half. And that was my mum's dream. It was my mum's dream to play the piano, but she did it through us, me mm -hmm. and my sister. And kind of learning the piano, then going to school, then kind of being the class clown, then being bullied uh, for six and a half years, seriously bullied. And I went, what I mean by serious, the word serious, I was stabbed twice. I was shot in the back once. Um, I was actually uh, drowned twice in a male toilet. Um, and then when I actually announced it was my birthday, they kicked me in so hard, they actually fractured one of my ribs. So I had insane amount of abuse in school. And what I did was I took that abuse. And for some reason, and, and even today, I, I think it's because of my outlook. I, it's truly my outlook. I can't tell you what, it, what else it would be. My true outlook was I kept going back to school. I kept being positive and I kept, I, I just kept wanting to be happy even though I wasn't in a happy situation. Mm -hmm. And actually part of what then trained me in being a comic was the fact that I was telling jokes to the bullies before they were beating me up. And the, the bullies were taking the jokes, they were listening to them. And if they thought they were funny, they were letting me go. If they didn't enjoy it, they were beating me up. So I got a kind of a harsh lesson, but you know. <laughs> a harsh lesson, oh my God. No, I know. So 70% of the time I walk away with not being hurt. But it was one of those things that it never deterred me from being at school and never. And ironically, I suppose my forgiveness levels were really high because I kept mm -hmm. forgiving them. I kept going back, kept being the, the person I was, kept trying to make people laugh, but I kept forgiving them for hurting me. That's where the comedy came. It, it came from being a, a lot stronger, it came from being bullied. I came out of school. I went into college, did a two year uh, diploma um, again always got the comedy parts mm. and I went to university and I only did six weeks I, I just didn't want to be in university I hated it mm. I was there with Lee Mack believe it or not the comic and I went for an open audition for me and my girl and I walked into the audition cocky didn't know what I was doing haven't got an agent 
And the choreographer said, can you tap dance? And I said, yes, I can. She said, I'll put the shoes on. And I thought, oh God, I can't tap dance. So I put the shoes on and I tried to follow her. Couldn't do it. She said, take them off. And she said, you can't tap dance, can you? I said, no. She said, I said, but I'm a quick learner. And the director called me that night and he offered me the lead role. And I took over Brian Connolly. So then I sent tickets back to the university, two tickets, inviting my drama teacher who said, I'll never amount to anything. So, and that's where my career started. So I went from me and my girl into 10 different musicals in the West End, um, all playing the comedy roles. So I kept playing comedy, comedy, mm -hmm. comedy, comedy. And then when I got to 31, 32, I um, had an opening. Was it an opening? Yeah, it was. Maybe, uh, it, no, it was 29, I was. And the opening was in um, uh, Blackpool to support John Inman, the late great, the mm -hmm. Nolan sisters, Jimmy Cricket and uh, Billy Pierce and to do stand-up comedy for about 10 minutes. And I did it, I died every night, wasn't funny. Mm. And I died on my backside for quite some time, but I learnt my graft. And then from the, from the age of about 30, which was in kind of the millennium, uh, just a little bit after the millennium, I started really kind of grafting my comedy material. Um, and then I became a stand-up comic at the age of 20, sorry, in 2004, 2005. And then I supported every single name you can imagine mm. i mean talk to me i mean everyone from jim davidson through to canon and ball i did them all i supported mm. everyone on uh, every big star on the planet then i went on the road on my own and then i toured around the world with my one-man shows um i've done over 400 cruises i've probably done 10,000, if not more comedy clubs um and corporates um i now headline uh, in 46 different countries around the world um and i now headline in las vegas once a year at the Tropicana Hotel. So it's all come from comedy. It's come from the love of comedy and, and, and the fact that I really wanted to kind of, you know, give back to people humour in, in a way that would make them never forget not only the experience they had with me, but me. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I did. And that's me done. That's, I mean, that's that is, that is a, quite a journey um, to, to pick apart. I mean, it, it sounds like comedy was really your kind of lifeline um through, okay. throughout all of that and it, it it sounds like you've got this bit of a stubborn streak as well just going I'm not going to accept that this world is mean and horrible and and it's going to beat me down you're like no I'm going to find the goodness in it well I think if you did then the goodness comes to you mm -hmm. it's uh, I, I always say to people uh, when you're walking down the street and someone walks past you don't ignore them mm -hmm. good morning good afternoon yeah a smile um, how are you? A smile goes a long way. It does. Uh, sometimes people drive past me. I, I walk the dog at half five in the morning. So you can imagine there's not a lot of people at that time, but the ones that are categorically now, I can put my, I can put my hand up and tell you, there's probably about 15 people that I would either say, either say good morning to, or I'll get a beep from mm -hmm. the car every single morning now, yeah. because I've taken the last six years, eight years of my life making an effort to make other people smile, make other people mm -hmm. happy, make other people realize that actually we've all, all of us, every single one of us Meg's got, Meg, sorry, has got the ability mm -hmm. to create the most incredible life for yourself. Um, and you can do it through just thinking and then taking action with that thought. So if I came on this, um, this podcast and I didn't want to, I gave you such a cold shoulder and I, mm. and I didn't kind of, you know, speak to you in, 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 in depth and, and I didn't get, make an effort to, to make your podcast the best it can be for you and for your listeners. Mm. And then 
I've done it for myself. I haven't done it to you or to your mm. list. I've done it to myself. I've basically lost not only someone that won't come back to me again, but listeners mm. that'll think what a waste of space, what a waste of time. Make the effort, make the effort because then people will come back to you in droves. I agree, isn't it? It's, it's like so much in, in this world nowadays is, is transactional. You know, it's like, yeah. Um, I do this for you, you do this for me. But it, it's, it, it's not about that, especially in this industry. It's about building relationships because they're going to be the ones that you see 10 years down the line, 20 years down totally. the line. It's, it's not this kind of instant gratification thing that, that we're kind of taught nowadays. It's, it's so okay. much more a long game. It, it is totally a long game. It's never the short game. It never has been the short game. Yeah. Um, you know, I can still go down streets that I was born and I was raised in. Um, and there's not much change apart from the properties probably had a paint job um, and maybe the roads had a re-tarmac. That's all that's happened with, you know, with our lives. Whereas technology, respect, um, creativity has moved mountains mm. um, since I was a kid. Mm. Um but only the people that believe it can move mountains and only the people that believe that you're in for the long game and that actually, you know, thinking is actually an exercise that you have to do every day. Mm. And that actually by thinking you create and by creating and believing uh, and then taking action, then you will achieve it. So there is a format to how you, you, you do what you do. For example, mm. here's a, here's a very, very quick example during the pandemic, we lost everything. Yeah. You know, I know everyone in the entertainment industry lost everything. Um, and it was a really tough time. And I know uh, I'm, I'm digressing by saying this, but there was a couple of comedians that actually left home. They went on the streets because they couldn't face their family because they couldn't pay the mortgages. And this. And it's, it's a tragic time. It's tragic. Yeah. So I was sitting at home. As you know, my, my wife had gone through this tragic um, accident um my twins were at home no school so it was homeschooling as well which by the way that's one thing god never ever created that was created by man and should be definitely it should be forgotten okay homeschooling no thank you right <laughs> but uh, no thank you all right that i mean sounds came out of me that i've never heard pregnant women have never made the sounds that i made that came out of me when i was teaching my children right however when you go into the when you go into the crux of it all I'd lost a lot of work and I mm. lost nearly 15 months worth of work. And uh, this was probably about, uh, I would have said 10 to 11 months into the pandemic. And I was sitting there in my home. My wife was in bed. Um, obviously she'd just taken her, her painkillers. The kids were out and I'm sitting there and I just thought I'm going to manifest. Mm -hmm. And all I did was I sat there, I emptied my mind. I focused on what is coming to me, not what, hopefully will come to me because then mm -hmm. you're doing the wrong thing it's what is coming to me it's already coming and you just have to go i'm here i'm, I'm ready to receive it i'm ready to receive right and i put this image in my head that my um wall calendar which has a load of dots on it red dots that say the gigs that i'm doing the shows that i'm doing and it was empty it was blank mm -hmm. and in my mind i saw me putting stickers on like that mm -hmm. and i remember and making me very happy and I absolutely focused that for about 30 minutes. I had a 30 minute manifestation in my mind of doing it. And I remember getting up from that manifestation and texting three or four people. All I did was say, hope you're well. It's been a while since blah, blah, blah. Let's hope the pandemic will end soon and we can get back to doing work. And, and I sent it off to about 10 people. Now I manifested, I believed I was gonna get work. 
-hmm. And then I took action and I text 10 people that I work with regularly. Yeah. Two hours later, Meg, I got a phone call from one of the guys that I hadn't text saying, hi, Kev, uh, Jimmy here. Hope you're well, blah, blah, blah. I said, I'm good, mate. It's a long time since I last spoke to you. What was it about eight months ago? He said, yeah, eight months ago. He said, how are you keeping? I told him my story. And he said, oh my God. Well, he said, listen, he said, I've got 27 gigs for you. He said, kicking off um, from end of October through to December. Are you available? Yeah, I am. He said, great. He's just booked it in. And I booked in 27 gigs two hours after I finished manifesting. So what I'm saying works, it does work. 27 gigs. 27 That's gig. not even just like one gig. <laughs> 27 gigs. 27. And I put them all on my poster. They're all on the um on the year plan. It's easy, but you just have to believe it. And you have to believe it and take action. Yeah. I think that's the, the hardest thing, isn't it? Is, is taking action at the end of the day. So so tell me about Jonglers, because that is a chain of comedy clubs, isn't it? Correct. So Jonglers uh, has been going since 1983. Mm-hmm. It has been a chain of comedy clubs that has grown and shrunk and grown and shrunk over the last uh, 30 years. And in 2017, unfortunately, it went into administration uh, simply with poor management um, and the lack of actually overseeing the the, the comedy nights. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did inquire about it in 2017, uh, but it was far too expensive. So I backed off. And in 2020, the paperwork came onto my desk and I looked at it and I went, do you know what? I'll find out if you sold it. So I called the actual seller, not the guy that was the agent that was selling it, but the seller himself. And he said, are you the guy that was going to buy it? I said, yeah. And he said, come and see me. I said, you should. He said, yeah, come and see me. So I went up to Northampton. He sat on his Bentley. I sat on my Kia. And um, he said, um, I said, look, I said, I know what people have offered you. I said, I'm not going to offer you anything close to what they've offered you. Yeah. And I said, you don't need the money. I said, you're a billionaire. So I said, <laughs> I said you're not, you're not going to take it with you to the, you know, to the grave. Yeah. I said, enjoy your money. I said, you're screwing me up by uh, making me pay for it more. I said, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy it off you for this much. And I said, I'm going to bring hope back to all the comedians and I'm going to grow the business exponentially compared to what you've ever done uh, or what anyone else has ever done. And I'm going to make it the biggest comedy brand in the world, not just in the UK. Mm-hmm. And he went, oh, go on then. And he shook my hand. <laughs> so I drove off with a with a with basically the oldest comedy brand in the UK um, for literally nothing, literally nothing. Yeah. And since then, we've been working really hard. I've got my team with me um, and we've grown the business to about 15 venues with um there's a big 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 there's a big platform that we're looking at we're looking at opening up to numerous venues i'm not gonna i'm not gonna put a figure on it mm-hmm. but numerous venues um around not just the uk but in the world um and we are now re-employing uh, all the comedians uh, ones that were screwed over in 2017 and were not paid we're employing them first to give them money back um, and then we're opening up doors to the old school, the new school, and every single genre of comic. You, we're not going to stop anyone coming here. As long as you're funny, that's all we want. What I mean, wow, that's astonishing. First of all, I mean, that's, that's huge. Did, like, I'm assuming you, you played in, um, in some of those clubs as you, as you were developing. I did. Yeah, I, I actually fought really hard for nearly a year and a half to two years to even get seen for yeah. the Jonglers Comedy Circuit. And then they said, right, we're going to give you eight minutes in Camden. Um, that's all you're getting. And it's non-paid. I said, OK. So I turned up 
and on the on the bill was Tim Clark, uh, Jeannie Yashiri, um, uh, Bob Bob Mills, and there was one other. I th- I can't remember who it was. And Tim Clark said, "Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome an open mic, Kev Orkin." I walked on. I did eight minutes, and I got a standing ovation uh, from Camden. And I walked off, and Jeannie Yashiri went, "Oh my God!" She said. You're like something else, isn't it? Like, so, and she was like proper getting it. So she gave me the biggest kiss and she said, I'm going to keep an eye on you. Mm. And the, the operations manager for Jonglers was a lady called Marilyn Nelson, mm-hmm. who said to me, you'll never, ever be an open mic again. She said, uh, you'll, be a, you'll be a headliner from now on. And um, I jumped from an open mic to headliner overnight. And then lo and behold, when the demise of Jonglers happened in 2012 and 13, it was already beginning to show mm. weaknesses. Marilyn, the lady who booked me in Jonglers, then ended up working for me in Howling Entertainment. And then when I bought Jonglers, she ended up being the operations manager for Jonglers again. So she's oh, now, there you go. So that's how it's worked, yeah. Relationship game, huh? <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's astonishing. And I love the kind of big ambitions that you've got for it because comedy that's all I was thinking throughout pandemic, like my, my background's theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole, the whole way through pandemic, I was like, oh, what kind of shows are gonna open after, after lockdowns lifted? And I was like, people are not wanna, gonna wanna go see a tragedy, a straight drama or anything no. like that. They're gonna want musicals. They're gonna want comedy. They want farces, all this like light hearted, fun like that's all that people need at this time is fun <laughs> yeah totally and um you know there's still a big fear uh we're still having to cancel or postpone shall i say p- postpone certain shows yeah. uh not just um not just comedy clubs but theater shows um we've got a number of different productions so i own four companies here but they're all based around entertainment mm-hmm. so uh, I'll, I'll even show you because uh, it's the way I, what i do here so basically um this is uh the howling comedy club brand so this is the howling comedy club so these are all the comics that we book um so you, I, was, I was just mentioning bob mills where is he uh, there you go bob mills there um all the big names kane brown mickey hutton you know alistair barry um you know john maloney so we got all those so we got all the nice comic then we got the production shows that we produce so we've got talents of britain We've got the Funny Festival, which is the uh, South African comedy festival. So we produce it here in the UK. Then we go on to all the pantomimes. So I've, I've done a ton of pantomimes, um, as you can see. I mean, I've, I think I've done 27 now. So uh, all the pantomimes yeah. that I've, I've either been involved with or I've executive produced. Then I've toured with all the great comics like Pasquale's and all them lot. And then all the musicals that I did. So everything I've ever done has been around the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and I tend to really kind of, you know, keep that going because for me entertainment is my life um so with howling entertainment we handle all the um all the shows and all the um, all the gigs all the all the variety shows and, and and corporates with jonglers we handle all the comedy clubs with howling comedy club we handle the variety and comedy club shows and with british pantomime academy we handle all these school pantomimes and um as such the online uh, training form uh, forums that we have which give students the opportunity to learn about pantomime and then ultimately go into a professional pantomime so at the moment our score levels i think are 90 percent. so all our students 
uh, that we trained this year, uh, 90% of them have gone into um, professional pantomimes or have already been confirmed for professional pantomimes. That's astonishing. Yeah. So it's nice to give back. But goodness. So you're, you've really, um, well, not only crossed paths, but worked with a, a huge, well, I've been the blessed, industry. Mate. I've been blessed. That's it. <laughs> That's how I look at my life. I've been blessed. So, so you, you've got this, this empire of, of entertainment businesses, comedy chains. You're something, you're something of a comedy mogul, aren't you? Um, but tell me, how, how is the industry kind of looking at the moment for, for people who are, have decided amongst lockdown, they're like, oh, maybe, maybe I should pursue a comedy career. Like, how, how would you even go about that nowadays? I don't think people have. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Meg. I don't think people have thought about taking mm. a career as a comedy performer. It's been the reverse. Mm. So we've actually lost in the industry, probably, um, I would say no more than 10%, mm-hmm. but we've lost 10%. And, and our industry has about 2000 performers. Yeah, We've lost 10% of those to what we call normal work. So they've gone into either delivery, hospital, uh, banking, you know, any kind of work that gives yeah. them a regular income. And a lot of them have given up on the career. So it's been the, rever- the reverse of what you've just said. Um, we know some great performers that are jugglers, ventriloquists, magicians. They're not there anymore. They've given but, up. They've gone, you know, I don't need to do this anymore. Do you think Kevin. that's permanent or temporary? Permanent. Yeah. Yeah. So there isn't a lot of people that have come into the industry that are going, oh, I'd like to be a comedian. Um, but there are, and, and I'll tell you something else as well. There are a number, and, and this is a very, a very high number, probably again, about 60 or 70% of all the comedy performers that I've worked with or I know um, are struggling mm-hmm. to, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're struggling to even overcome their fears that they're still funny. Yeah. So it's been a tough call. So, you know, I speak to people who are texting me now going, Kev, I'm going on, I'm going on next week and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if I can do it. Yeah, of course you can. You know you can. Mm. yeah but uh, how do you know that well I know you mm. so I know you can do it but it's just one of those things you know people have got a lot of fear that they need to overcome so I think yeah this pandemic has really crushed a lot of people's um soul mm. for me I never forget the first the first performance I ever did was for the Saudi prince in the Seychelles mm-hmm. and he he invited me to go and do a, a performance for him and his family and when I finished, I said, this is my first show in 18, you know, at the time of 16. I said, this is my first show in 16 months. And I've got to tell you, I can breathe again. Mm. I said, thank you for my oxygen. And then I broke down. I walked off stage and I broke down. I actually cried for an hour. I couldn't come out of it. You know, oh. when you have that moment where you can't come out. And I think all the frustrations of not performing mm. came out, all of them. But we're back to normal now. Well, no, we're not back to normal at yeah. all. We're, we're trying to get back to normal, but there's still a long way to go, particularly for the live entertainment. But would, would you say there's there's going to be that demand upcoming? Like that there's going to be that space for that that new level of talent coming maybe next year? Yes, there is. Uh, like most things, um, the ranks need to be replenished. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those that have given up um, will open up doors for those that want to to get into the industry there's plenty plenty of shows 
plenty of musicals, plenty of pantomime, plenty of everything out there mm-hmm. that can accommodate our industry. Mm-hmm. Our our entertainment industry is is not as big as you know America uh, or Europe or whatever. And what we have is quality. Mm-hmm. So I think our shows, our musicals, our dramas, our plays, our um, events, our cabarets, our comedy clubs, everything we do, corporates, you name it. We've got plenty of talent um, that can accommodate and we can accommodate plenty more. Mm. Um, you know, we churn out some of the biggest um, uh, performing arts schools, churn out some of the biggest um, stars on the planet. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 these guys, it's it's down to the individual, really. You know, you can go and do a two year performing arts course. And if you come out and you're not going to do anything with it, then it's your loss. But if you come out of it and then go, no, I'm going to pursue a career. I'm going to do this and this and this and this. Then it's our game. You yeah. Know? No, 100 percent. So, so, I mean, the, the comedy, the market for comedy is huge. Totally. Like, the, no one's ever going to be turning away laughing. I don't, I don't, I don't. No, think. I hope not. No, I think um, you're right. I don't, I don't think they'll be turning away any kind of laughter. I, I just think it comes down to, you know, everyone thinks they can put on a comedy club. Um, but it's not as easy as you think there's so much involved with it there's a management side of it there's the show management side of it there's the booking side of it there's the lineups side of it there's the payments side of it there's so much involved with putting on a really good comedy night and marketing and making sure your lineups um, are correct for the demographic that's watching so much so much involved it is a business at the end of the day isn't it (laughs) correct yeah yeah correct but um so what, one thing I wanted to pick your brain about was, so have, having performed for, for big TV audiences yourself, like what's the difference between, between the kind of comedy club atmosphere versus, versus that? Is, is it a completely different totally. game? Totally. Yeah. Um, with a, I, I wouldn't even put them in the same genre. Mm. Um, I think live comedy is by far the most precious way of engaging with a, an audience mm. and taking them on a on an experience or a journey yeah. through your humor whereas if you're on television yes you're going to hit so many more people mm. um, in a comedy club you're going to hit 100 150 people mm. on television you're going to hit well if you're lucky a couple of million mm. um, but the difference is your humor <laughs> yeah you're going to have an audience i suppose so you've got that humor but you're also not engaging with the people at home right. where you would in a theater, in a, in a, in a live show. Mm. So everyone aims to be on television. Everyone aims to get that big um, recognition. Mm. Uh, and of course, financially, it's going to be a massive, uh, massive, yeah. you know, opportunity for you, but it's also going to be a massive opportunity to then once you're on television to go and tour around the world or mm. around the UK with your own one man show or one woman show. Mm. Um, so TV has that power to elevate your career in the comedy world, live world. Mm. So it has that power to do that. Mm. The difference is what you do on television, you can never repeat on stage. Because um, they'll turn around and go, well, we heard that last week on, on yeah. ITV. Why are you doing that joke again? Suddenly you go, ooh. Yeah, I guess, I guess if you're doing TV constantly, you, can, you, you can't just do it yourself. You need a whole team. Well, no, on TV, you start employing writers. I am much more about you coming out, getting off your backside, getting into a comedy club, having a nice drink, maybe with some food, because we've got quite a few venues that do food as well, sitting there and laughing your backside off, proper belly-wrenching laughter, yeah. 
because you're actually in that moment with the the comic. You wouldn't be doing that if you were sitting at home watching live at the Apollo. You yeah, belong. it's like you're bringing happiness and bringing joy into my life a lot more effectively. You're experiencing it, Meg. You're experiencing it. Yeah. If you're at home, you're watching it. You're not experiencing it. You're right. watching it. And then you're getting up, making yourself a cup of tea, grabbing a few little hot nuts in the microwave, and you're doing your little bits and bobs and whatever, and that's it. Yeah. But if you're in the theatre or you're like musicals, like I know your background's theatre, so is mine, my, my mm. background's theatre to start with. The experience of watching fame or a pantomime or a boogie night or happy days or lay Miz or whatever. Mm. And one of my favourite musicals of all time, which, are, by the way, mark my words, I'm going to be playing one day. I am going to be playing the lead in Fiddle on the Roof. Um, and I'll tell you something, that experience, second to none. Yeah. You wouldn't get that sitting at home while your husband comes in and goes, oh, I've had a horrible day at work. Oh, have you? Oh, bless you, darling. I'm just watching live at the Apollo. <laughs> yeah, but hold on a minute. Pause. You wouldn't be doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So you're chatting to someone who, who comes up to you and says, Kev, I want to be an entertainer. I want to I want to be a comedian. Um, how do I do it? What, what, what do you say to them? Find your talent. Yeah. Everyone has a talent. Everyone has a talent. That could be everything from talking to comedy, to singing, to directing, to producing, mm -hmm. to uh, dancing. It, it, everyone's got a talent. Mm -hmm. If you don't find it, it's because you haven't tapped into it. Right. So, you know, you could be a musical and you don't even know it, you know. But what makes you happy? What makes you smile? What makes your heart sing? For me, hearing people laughing makes my heart sing. It, mm -hmm. it totally makes my heart sing. So I'm just one of those people that, I found my talent and I found it very early on in my life. Mm -hmm. And I found what drives me. I found what, what moves me forward. Um, find what makes you happy, you know, and, and do it truthfully to yourself. And when you find that talent, then, you know, take the risk. Mm -hmm. And if it means getting up and playing, you know, the piano in front of a hundred people, do it. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, if you don't do it, you're going to regret it. And I'll tell you something now, Meg, I'm not going to be lying on my deathbed when I'm 103, because I know when I'm dying. When I'm 103, I'm not going to be lying on my deathbed going, oh, I wish I'd done that. Because yeah. there's going to be no, there's going to be no angels around my bed yeah. going, we came to you with an idea, you never did it. There's none of those are going to be there. None of those. The only people yeah. that are going to be there is the people that love me that are saying good luck with your next journey because we never ultimately die we just move on so i don't believe we die we leave the body here we leave the body here mm. but we move on we're all lights and um and each one of us has the gift to be amazing we just have to find it so you're all about trusting what makes you happy and following your instincts totally so when your wife's foot is on the wrong way around you flip it back because that's what your okay. instincts say <laughs> that's exactly what happened Totally. <laughs> Kev, thank you so, so much. It's been so lovely to get to know you. I've, I've honestly, I've enjoyed this more than anything. It's been wonderful. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Bad Mad podcast. Please subscribe to check out the next episode or leave a review if you liked it. You can find us on Instagram at goodbadmad or at goodbadmad.com for additional resources and information. See you next time.